Amen. You may be seated. Oh, good morning. Sure. So good to see people. As always, I want to just welcome those who are on tuning in, Shore family guests on the YouTube channel. It always sounds fun. My daughter wants to start a YouTube channel with just me and her singing. I'm like, I don't know if people are going to watch it, but uh, maybe now you will. Okay. Uh, we are continuing our series in Ephesians chapter 6. So please grab your Bible, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We are in part 2 uh, of looking at the, the weaponry, really the God's victorious armor. Paul says, is ours against a real spiritual enemy. And this has been the theme of this series that we have a victorious God and we have his victory armor that helps us win in an unseen battle. And so uh, he says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? Not all of this stuff that we go through in our lives is just, you know, human stuff. It's not only emotional issues or just, you know, mental uh, battles or or or. But it's spiritual, often intertwined and often behind. Paul says it's against demonic spirits, persons without bodies, against the rulers in various areas and defending orders of authority over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, here's the thing we've been saying. In Ephesians 6, the picture is um, not of like individual Christians out on their own in isolation, but rather the, the picture of the armory is that of the church. Like we're thinking like shields overlapping one another. And so um, the fact is, is we need one another in the same way spiritual gifts are one for the other. Armor is for one another. We, we put on the armor of God, the victories of Jesus. And so um, the Bible says, and he told his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail. So as we shield together, as we put on the armor, we will come against darkness. In fact, we're called to engage in this unseen realm. Um, all right, so last week, a little review. Last week we looked at God's belt of truth. And the big idea was that we're living truthfully. We're living in honesty. We're living like there's no hiddenness, which means we've pulled into our lives the truths that are in Jesus. And, and they, we've brought those truths into places of darkness so that that darkness has no room left. So we're, we're becoming truthful. There's nothing hidden. We're pulling in, what does the Father think of me? Uh, what does Jesus say is true? What are the promises of Scripture? We're putting on truth. The second uh, weaponry we have is the breastplate of righteousness. This covers the heart. We said last week, this is both Jesus covering us in perfection that he won on the cross right, where our sin is paid in full, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation, there's, there's no shame that's not covered with the love of Jesus. It's all covered, it's all ours, it's righteousness. His righteousness is the thing that will cover our heart. It's also, uh, we become righteous in, in how we live. We're becoming more like Jesus. So today we're gonna pick up the next four pieces of armory and here's what I wanna say. I just wanna tell you that I love you. It <sighs> feels good. I love you, and I want, it, I want you to remember, as your pastor, the goal of this series, for me, is to get us stronger in Christ. My hope is that we don't look at this text with, okay, let's learn information, but that as I'm preaching, you are feeling Jesus, 
really armor. He is coming into your life and applying it in this one another way. And so I want you to pay attention to what you hear, what you see, and what you feel during these sermons. Okay, one of the, one of the elders last week was hearing blasphemous thoughts against the church the whole service. So just pay attention because you fight a real enemy. I don't want this to be like, you know, just uh, classroom stuff. God really, really loves you, and he's here to actually put on some shoes of readiness of peace. He's actually really, really here, and he wants to show you where is your shield. How's the shield going with us in this church? Which means what I'm saying is this text is for us today in the now, okay? Everyone give me the universal symbol of, like, you're with me. Okay, universal? Good. Sweet. So here's where we're going. We need his mind. We need his strength. We need his power. Amen? For what we're facing. So here's the next piece of armor. We're going to look at these four today. Uh, The shoes given by the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll do each one. Okay. Good. Jesus, I just love that you're really here. I love that your presence is with me and it's with all of us. And you really love us. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, for your peace to rest. And I pray for your covering. I pray for protection. I pray that there would not only be an angel sent to be with me, but there would be angels in this room. And I pray for those watching. I pray that there would be just a sense of they're all in with you, this wholeheartedness. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would now not only teach us your word, but transform us through it. I pray we would walk out feeling like, I think I'm wearing this armor. And I pray this by the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Okay, let's pick it up. Verse 13. You can see it on the screen. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, all of it, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's this day, our present day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And here we go. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Uh, The NIV, just to give you another translation, says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So first off, there's the imagery here is of shoes, Right, of, of boots, of, of one of movement, it's action. Think of the posters you walk by, you know, of sports stores in the mall, like of Nike, right, of the athlete in the sprint position. They're ready to dart. Paul, he's imagining a church on the North Shore with this continuously, they're available, they're, they're, there's a readiness. If you, if you talk to people who uh, were in, in any of the world wars or any kind of war, they'll tell you that they, they are told to sleep with their boots on. And one of the reasons they're told to sleep with their boots on is because you would know, like, if in the middle of the night there's an attack um, or there's some kind of emergency or guns going all around and you're in, like, REM sleep and you get woken up, you don't have time to be like, where are my shoes? i got to lace them up. Like, it's ready. They're always on. So this is what Paul's saying, always being prepared. First Peter... Uh, says the same thing, always being ready to make a defense, to testify to anyone for the hope that is in you. You're, you're, you're ready to share the gospel of peace. You're receiving forgiveness of sin and new life. You're ready to share that. Uh, in chapter 2 in Ephesians, uh, 
Paul says of Jesus' message, he says this, and he, Jesus, came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. In the midst of war, ours is the only message of peace. So what is this peace? Well, verse 18 says this, Ephesians 2, 18, for through him, we, so those who are far off and those who are near, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the Father's peace. We get peace with the Father. We get the peace of the Father. Which, look at your, look at your Bible. Notice the phrase. It says, uh, given by the gospel of peace. So notice, this is a gospel that produces peace of heart and mind for those who are believing it and putting it on. Let me say it this way. There's nothing more powerful uh, as we armor up for others against the unseen realm, listen, listen, than a readiness that is rooted in peace. Peace from the Father. Let me show you some verses. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him... In perfect, what's our word? Peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Um, Paul, when he's applying the gospel with anxiety and worry, uh, he says, as you're praying, something's going to happen. But look at the way it describes God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ. Let me say this. When I'm going to someone's house... Uh, to listen to them, and I know there's spiritual warfare present, there's stuff um, that I know we're going to encounter. One of the reasons I fast is I think this armory. So when you're fasting, you're, right, you're, you're in like, you know, feeling these physical hunger pains. When you're fasting, you're a little slower, right, hungry, but you're attentive to Jesus. And so when I'm fasting, um, I'll often dedicate like at least an hour with the Lord to just be in his presence, and as I'm abiding with him, I can feel his peace. Now, let me just be really, really clear here. When it comes to engaging a spiritual unseen realm, when I have that, I'm not nervous at all. I find I'm really confident in Jesus' presence in the room. I have this kind of peace. I, I carry and this is true for you, you will carry your awareness of Jesus' power and the peace of the gospel, which comes with spiritual authority. And you're able to actually let your peace rest upon a home. Okay, some of you that might trigger a Bible verse we'll get to in a second. But the unseen realm, when you come in with a gospel of peace, is immediately restricted. They're immediately like, they can feel the peace of Jesus, and they're weakened. How many of you, you know this, like, just with people? How many of you, you have someone in your life that when you get with them, they just carry the peace of Jesus, and when they start talking, you're just like, oh, I feel really light. And it's not like they're the most happy person, you've ever, but they just are, they've been in with the presence of Jesus, and they're carrying his peace with them. Anybody? Yeah, so, so, um, now, let me add this here. Look at Matthew 10. This will be on the screen. When Jesus sends his disciples out, how many of you, like, you've read verses in the Bible and you're like, I bet you they know what it means, but you just don't and you just keep going? This was always one for me. So look at this verse. How many of you could just explain this verse? As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, 
worthy, let your peace return to you. Right? We're like, hmm, okay. Is that just like, okay, peace? You guys think I'm cool? Peace. No. What he's saying is that you're carrying the authority of Jesus. You bring the peace of Jesus. If it's not received, you can leave it. But if it is received, you can actually impart your peace to it. And let me say this. So everyone look at me here. We can't give something we don't have. We can't transmit peace if we're not experiencing it ourselves. We can talk about it. You can theorize around it. But you cannot transmit it. Um, I often now begin like my quiet time with Jesus. And I just invite him to come in with the presence of his peace. And I'll wait. I'll just invite the Holy Spirit and I'll say, will you just now please bring me your peace? And I'll wait. Let me ask us this, if, if I can, if you're okay. As you go into your day, as you go into people's homes, do you have peace to impart? Like, do you bring peace? The gospel is the only way we'll have that. Taking up the truths of the blood of Jesus, the Father's love towards us, will produce his peace in us. And we bring it. Okay, next, shield of faith. So scholars point out a Roman, sold, uh, Roman shield was constructed with a wooden frame and covered by a thick layer of leather. Often the leather was soaked with water to make it fireproof to, you know, extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. The shield was three or four feet tall, two feet wide. This made it large enough that a soldier could crouch down behind it and protect his entire body. So when you think of shield, think of like the size of a door. These were like door-like shields. Um, and they would like overlap one another and they would kind of create these walls of battle. So what does a shield do? We all know this. It protects. So, so next we, put on, we take up the shield. So shield is protection on the battlefield of what? Faith. The shield of faith. So remember what Jesus says. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy to steal what? Faith, destroy faith. So know this, the enemy has fiery darts, right? Look at the text. What does it say? It says it has fiery darts. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So these arrows, just, you know, in Roman times were, were dipped with tar or pitch. They were shot after being lit on fire. One historian graphically describes how these arrows, even when not hitting the body, but would catch the shield, would cause panic because the blazed fiercely just filled all around them and it tempted the soldiers to throw down their burning shields and as soon as they do, they're vulnerable to the next or to the spear of the enemy. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter when this unseen battle uh, comes for him with a fiery dart? Okay, look at the details here. This will be Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, behold, he's like, I'm going to show you the unseen realm. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I love this. We'll talk about the war of prayer next week, but I've prayed for you that your, what's our word? Faith, right? So there's a shield of faith. The darts are coming after what? Stay with me. Your faith, that your faith may not 
fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Watch what Jesus did, just did. Jesus just put his shield over the faith Satan was trying to destroy through prayer. That's what Jesus just did. He took out his shield, he put it over Peter, and he's like, you're not coming after him. That's what we do when someone's going through a really crazy storm and you with an unseen realm and like maybe a prophetic word or if you have the spiritual gift of discernment of spirits, go, I think this is spiritual in your life. You go, can I pray that your faith and you just put the shield of protection for people. This is protection. We're called to come into this. Um, the Lord invites us to pick up the shield. Corrie ten Boom, who survived in the concentration camps, an incredible woman of faith, watched her sister starve to death in, in one of the world wars, says this, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. That is more precious than gold, the Bible says. Hebrews 11 says, the faith is the assurance of things not seen. So the shield of faith means to look at God instead of yourself. Faith is looking at God instead of your trial. Faith is looking at God instead of the demon. It's looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith for protection. So this is Jesus' protection. But how many of you, after a big, maybe like a relational struggle, a tough situation where, where you knew this was spiritual, you knew some of that pride you felt and the ugliness in your heart and where maybe that brutal encounter with your kids or that deep wrestle with a specific sin in your life, um, there was a moment after where you felt this deep darkness and self-hatred, thoughts roll in like bitterness. And what's your instinct? Your instinct is to throw down your shield. It's like, ah, no. And, and, and here's what happens when you, when you throw down the shield. The next dart comes and you will begin to hear what the enemy whispered to Adam and Eve. Is God really good? You'll hear something like God seems to be unwisely. You'll hear it in your own way. God seems to be unwisely and unfairly allowing this. And that's all he'll say. And then he'll leave. And then doubt, unbelief, this trickle in, these small drifts towards sins of escape, sins of rebellion, they'll slowly come into your mind. While the shield of faith is burning. So I, uh, sometimes when I prep, the Holy Spirit will now speak to me, which is really cool. And the Holy Spirit said to me this week, some of us have left our shields of faith back in a time of hurt. And so I sensed him say to me, if that's you, or that resonates with you, if, if it doesn't right away, it's not for you. If it does, and you know it, or you feel like it could, I felt like the Lord say to me, ask them to ask me where they left it. So here's my question to you. Ask the Lord where you left the shield. And if that's you, ask him to bring it back to you. Okay? That was just, test that. All right. So what are the burning arrows? Or Let me ask you this. What are the burning arrows or assaults pummeling with flames towards you? Think about your own life. What are those temptations, those unloving conduct, 
stuff, the false teaching, the lies, the persecution, the self-righteousness, the despair. What do you need Jesus' faith to strengthen you for today? And, and, and here, here's what Paul would say, take up, take up, take hold of Jesus' shield, claim protection. You can even say out loud in times where you're feeling it, Jesus now protects the faith of my spouse. Jesus now protects the faith of my child. Jesus now protects the faith, my faith, the church's faith, this day in Jesus' name. One of the things about the armor of God we have to keep remembering is that we are not fighting against ourselves. This is a real personal being. So when you are fighting against real demons, you actually need to speak to them. You need to say, Jesus now protects me and my faith in Jesus' name. And they hear that and they obey. And there's something about the presence of Jesus that comes in as you speak it, all right? I'll tell you about this in a second, but let's keep going. The helmet of salvation. You guys all so good? Universal symbol? Still here? Yeah, good. Yeah, Mary, you're here. You're here every week, girl. High five. Okay. Um, so the helmet protects what? The head. And so the idea here is the mind. So in a real war, you could have the most skillful, the most bravery, I think Goliath. You could have the most best equipment, but when the head is wounded, it's all pointless. So I think Paul has two aspects of warfare and weaponry in mind here. One is hope. The hope of salvation. The helmet, the hope of salvation. The protection of the mind is that we have hope. The enemy wants to rob you specifically not of your salvation in general, but of the hope of your salvation. Here's where I get this, okay? Because your job is to tell me and ask me, show me that in the Bible. So let me show you that. So 1 Thessalonians 5.8, this is how Paul uses this language. He says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and, and then what? And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So, so Romans 8.24 says, for in this hope... Salvation, we're saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the thing about hope is it's rooted in the assurance of our salvation. So let me say it this way. The quickest way to lose your peace in the midst of a spiritual conflict is to forget that our salvation came from his works and not ours. Let me say that again, or I'll say it this way. If our salvation was won through our efforts, if your hope is rooted in your own efforts, so if your salvation is won through your own commitments, if your hope has come through commitments or goodness, then it would be up to us to fight and to keep it. All right? Stay with me here. We need to remember we are not fighting for our salvation. We are fighting from our salvation. We have this hope. It is our hope. So when we put on the helmet, we're exercising and we're putting hope into reality. We're going, I, I have this hope. Listen, we need this because Revelation 10 says, Satan accuses us before our God day and night. And I think what he means is he accuses us directly when we go before God to pray or to help others get free in spiritual conflict. He, he tries to come in as we're breaking in the kingdom of God and he's trying to mess with our hope. 
If he can get our head, then he can keep the demon in that person or he can keep that person from being attacked. If he can get in our head and say, there's no hope for them or there's no hope for you or all this stuff. Because listen, while you're doing what Jesus told you to do, you're going to get this kind of attack. Listen, anytime I pray, a demonic power, um, I believe assigned to me, will point out my sins. Like every time I actually go to, like to do like, you know, any kind of pastoral ministering or counseling, I hear a voice say something like you should have prayed more before this meeting. You don't really love them. Or, hey, what about that thing you did two nights ago? That was pretty close. Hey, you almost, you almost fell there. Or, or, or you just want people to think you're awesome. Right, you hear that, accusing. Or sometimes I'll hear, why didn't you fast? Or why didn't you fast more? Here's what Jack Deere says. He says, that nasty voice will continue to speak as long as I'm willing to listen to it. That is key in spiritual warfare. That nasty voice will continue to speak as long as I'm willing to listen to it. Some of the things the accuser says are true. Some are partly true. Who has ever prayed enough or loved purely enough? When have our motives ever been completely pure? What the accuser is attacking is the goodness of God. He wants us to believe that God's goodness is contingent on our goodness. The accuser doesn't care if we believe that God heals as long as he can get us to think that God only heals good people, not weak, immature, inconsistent people like us. The truth is that every time we ask God for anything, we're asking for something we don't deserve. We are asking for a favor that we can never pay back. So, so sure, we overcome the accuser by placing our confidence in the blood of Christ, in the living hope of our salvation, okay? So let me say this. If you sin, if, if a fiery dart blows at the shield and the temptation is too intense, the Lord's protection and hope, listen to this, is not tied to whether we gave in or stood with him in that moment. His, his shield is found in his grace. Meaning the shield's goal isn't just to get you to not sin. But to get you to trust and rest in his grace. When the shield is down, the design of the scheme is to get the believer in darkness. The design of the scheme of the enemy is to keep her from the cross. Keep him, just flounder them in their faith. Make them doubt the genuineness of their salvation. Um, um, you know, keep him in this self-beating, shame, self-hate. Don't let him see he's a new creation. Tell him he still sucks. That's not from the father. The father would not talk to you like that. The cross happened. I often say that out loud. I'll tell demons, hey, you guys remember, the cross happened. If our sin is covered in its blood, it's covered. Like it can't be uncovered. And, and, and so we pull up the belt of truth and we go, what are the truths in Jesus? Let me say this, wallowing in sin isn't from the Father. How many good fathers would, would come back as the prodigals coming back to, to get grace would imagine a father going, why did you, what did you, 
but that's what we think. And that's not the father. That's not the father who sent his son so that he could receive us and give us peace with the father. Wallowing isn't from the father. Confession is a gift that says Jesus paid for even this. Confession's like, oh man, you should see what else Jesus died for. This is, this is it. And we, I get it, shame. I get shame. But shame is covered in his love. Repentance is turning and, and, and still being covered with his love. It's, it's getting up. It's getting things out. It's, it's putting on the breastplate of righteousness and going, wow, this is really strong. Ding, 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 ding. This is strong. I like this armor. I'm really righteous still. This is cool. The Father must really love me. So the other night, like I was, I had this this one moment of weakness where this temptation was coming over me, and um, as soon as I like pulled away from it, and I could tell the Father was just helping me. I just, I encourage you to do this. I just told the Father, I was like, oh, Father, like, Dad, this is what. Thank you. Like I got. It was good to be away from that thing. And like, but I just told him, and, and here's, the, here's the thing. He loves you. His armor isn't how good you can be for him. It's his goodness and hope rooted in how good and mighty he is for you. And so when you're bringing stuff continuously to the Father, you're putting on the belt, and the enemy's not going to keep pulling anymore. This is what it means. Be strong in the Lord. I think some of us stay down for too long. Like, I think you, we linger too long in what, you know, what could I have done better or why am I so sinful and, and you know, like, this, this will never change and, um, and I'll, I'll never get what she has. I'll never have the freedom that, that Christy had. I'll, that'll never happen to me. And, and then we, this is the hope. We don't have hope. We need to put on hope. So we have to put it on. What is hope? Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The gospel, the hope, without wavering. For, where's our hope rooted? Is it in us? No. It's in him who promised is faithful. So here's what hope is. Here's what one pastor said. Hope is a, I, like, I appreciate this word. Hope is a quiet, steady expectation of good based on the promises of God's word. Hope is a quiet, steady expectation of good based on the promise of God's word. I read today in my devotion, Psalm 71, verse four, he says, but I will hope continually. So think of hope, if you're like, how do I put on hope? A continuing optimism. So I think some of us, we kind of use the, like, I'm like, I'm the guy who's like, the glass is always half empty. Just, I think that could be a lie that you need to break. Just say, I've always just had not hope. The helmet of salvation gives us hope. Jesus won. It's pretty awesome. Okay, now, this is my favorite one. The sword of the spirit. Okay, one of the things you got to hear about this one, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Uh, let me just read it to us. Um, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So 
this word of God in the Greek is the word rema, not the word logos. Logos is typically translated Bible, like we have, like, you know, the, our Bible. Uh, rema is also translated for Bible, but it's the spoken word. It, it, it means, like, literally spoken with your mouth. It's a spoken word. Um, and so interestingly, scholars point out this, is, this, this isn't like a big sword. Like, you know, we think like samurai sword. Um, maybe I just do because I have kids that play with swords. Think of a small dagger. This was a 12 to 14 inch, some say 18 inch long knife, razor sharp, both edge. The idea is that it's used face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. Um, and so we actually see Jesus, I believe Jesus, like, you know when you picture the temptations in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, some of us might picture like Satan on this rock up there and Jesus is like yelling at them. No, no, they're doing this. They're knife to knife. That's how Satan approaches you, by the way. He doesn't approach you way over there. He's probably right here. Um, and so you have a knife the Father has given you, which is God's victorious word by the Spirit so, he goes eyeball to eyeball. He uses it rightly empowered by the Spirit. Remember this. When we use the sword, we don't use it against people. Too many Christians stab other believers. Our war is not against the person, but that person is being duped by a demonic spirit or something going on. Your war, when you're about to pull out the sword, so when I'm talking to someone about truth and lie and they're really like pushing hard against me for a reason, I'm actually not talking to them. I'm actually speaking to the demon with them or behind them or around them. When I bring out Romans 8, 1 sometimes and I go like, there is therefore, and I'm like, there is no condemnation. That person's like, wow, he's really speaking with authority. And I'm not talking to the person. I'm talking to the demon. Because Ephesians 6 is talking to demons. Okay, I know that makes us feel uncomfortable, but we have to remember the war is not always against a person. Yes, people can do evil, and yes, there's justice, and there's ways that we address evil people, but in spiritual conflict, you're not fighting, let me say it this way, sentences. But, but they've come from a personal being without a body, and that personal being needs to hear words. So let's go to Matthew 4, and I'll show you this. Jesus doesn't, let me say this, in the temptation of Jesus, he does not think it is written. He does not, uh, you know, have this motive towards the enemy, it is written. He speaks it out loud. He uses the dagger of the rema, the spoken word. Let me show you Matthew 4, it'll be on the screen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He probably had a lot of peace as well. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Dagger, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the dependency of the mouth of God. Okay, then the devil, bleeding out, took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, okay, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Notice, neither Jesus or Satan ever questioned the authority of Scripture. 
where am I? Uh, and then he said, if you are the son of God, throw down yourself, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan comes and he misuses and misapplies and twists and adds one thing uh, uh, to to stir Jesus up. And what is that one thing he's trying to do to use the Bible in a twisted way? What is he trying to do? Create doubt. When people use the Bible and you walk away more doubtful, it probably wasn't from the Father. He wants Jesus to doubt. Every line that Satan begins with is this word, if. He's calling something into doubt. And if Satan and demons misapplied scripture with Jesus, they will for sure try to do it with you. So how does Jesus combat? He pulls out the dagger. He gets really, really close and he jams it in. And how does he do it? He uses words. And what does he say? He says, it is written. The Bible says. He says, this is really the heart of the spirit in the word and he knows how to apply the word and this is the key of the dagger and I just want to say this you know women's bible studies are starting up uh you can get all the information I think on Tuesday community groups will be starting up I do need to say here we need to be men and women who love and know the word of God we can't spend a day without abiding in the truths of the word of God but we need to know the bible not like the pharisees did We need to know the Bible the way Jesus called the sword of the Holy Spirit. They knew the letter of the law. They knew the traditions of man. Jesus knew the heart of the Father. Jesus knew the spirit of the law. They both used scripture, but Jesus knew how to use it with the Holy Spirit who's empowering the word of God. Listen, listen, specifically to a lie or a temptation or demonic stronghold. So how do we understand this? Well, I'll give you three quotes from conservative to charismatic. Here we go, ready? David Powelson says this, as you share the word of God, this is how he uses the dagger, you need the keen edge of wisdom that the metaphor sword brings to mind. So you're listening. He he would say, I read his whole book on, not the whole thing, but I read most of it on um, um, biblical counseling and spiritual warfare. Really good book. You should get it. Um, but he says that the Holy Spirit will often bring to mind scriptures that you have been abiding in all the time because he knows that you are coming into that war. Like the Spirit will use the dagger with such wisdom and oftentimes he'll show you where the person's not believing the gospel, which is totally awesome. I love it. Tim Keller says it's not just knowledge. So it's not just knowing Bible, but it's a wisdom to understand how the Bible practically applies so you can use it on the spot. John Wimber says, this is a specific statement given by the Spirit to assist us in defending ourselves against the enemy as well as assaulting him during battle. I like that. It's a defending, because that's what, like, the enemy throws, it is written at Jesus, he defends it, and then he goes, he uses it, okay? Okay. And Wimber says, and I believe this is true, this spoken, this spoken word may be a specific scripture or an impression from God. Oftentimes when you're dealing with people, especially with spiritual warfare, the Lord might even give you an impression, and that's the same as the sword, as the word. It's still a, a revelatory word from God, 
come through a spiritual gift for the person or against the demon. It's not just the Bible. Remember, it's Rema. So it's a word of God. God mainly speaks to us in Scripture, but Scripture also shows us he speaks to us through the gifts, through hearing his voice. So know your Bible, walk with the Lord, and let me, let me say this, okay? This is the most important thing I'm going to say this whole morning. Second most important thing. We have to remember in the unseen realm, Jesus, when it came to the demonic realm, always used the authority the Father gave him, and it was always spoken. If the demons are on the outside, we need to resist them with, it is written. Or you can say, Holy Spirit, I just need a word from you. What do you want to say to me right now? And then you use that out loud. So if you're feeling condemned, just say, it is written. Like, just you can look at the air where you think the thing is. I don't know how they're all spatial beings, so it's hard to figure this out. But uh, not spatial beings. They're unspatial, whatever the other word is I'm looking for. Okay. You just say it out loud, okay? By the way, when we do deliverance, we actually say out loud. We get the name out loud. We get the grounds out loud, and then we tell them to leave out loud. Um. I'll, I'll say the most important thing in a second, but I want to close with this one quote. One pastor said this, it is significant that the word of the Spirit is not the Bible on the bookshelf or on the nightstand. That does not scare the devil. But when you take scripture in your mouth and you quote it directly, then it becomes the sword of the Spirit. I love that. It is significant that the word of the Spirit is not the Bible on the bookshelf or on the nightstand. That does not scare the devil. But when you take scripture in your mouth and you quote it directly, it becomes the sword of the Spirit. Okay, now here's the most important thing I'll say and then we'll pray. Um, Jesus is a real person and he really loves you. And Jesus, he's, he's really real, and he's really with you. The armor of God is about friendship with God. Spiritual warfare and putting on armor is not about a formula. It's about a friendship. It's not about a formula. Putting on the armor of God and engaging in this present darkness against powers must flow from Jesus' presence and relationship with him. Let me say it this way. The power over the enemy is in your relationship with God. Everything the enemy is trying to do is to get you to not believe what you already have. Anything the enemy is trying to do is trying to not get, is trying to spin you from a great relationship of the Father that's already over you. Let me show you a real truth that you can back this up in Scripture. In Acts 19, there's a story of the seven sons of Sceva where they're trying to cast out demons. And what, what are they doing? They're just using the name of Jesus. They're using these right words, these formula stuff, and they had no relationship with the one who could empower the words. And do you remember what happens to them? 
they get beaten up by these demons and like to the point where they actually run out naked. That's a lot of beaten up. The point is the weaponry is God's love, his gospel, wrapping us as we carry his love with us. He really, really loves you. And he really loves the shore. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And this is how we win. We win as we abide in the vine. For apart from him, we can do nothing. Which will take us, I think, into like the electricity of the armory. Which is where we'll go next week. Which is prayer. So let's pray. Jesus, I know how much you love us. I thank you that you have yourself that you want us to put on as we engage. And you've given us imagery of how your spirit wins in the unseen realm. You've given us armory imagery. But it's your presence with us and it's your relationship within us. And I pray no one would walk away feeling there's a formula of putting on armor. But that rather they'd walk away with a, with a hunger and a zeal for greater passion, for deeper intimacy and friendship with you. And yet, Lord, we can't ignore these verbs. This put on, this put on, this take up, this so, Lord, would you just walk with us? Would you show us where we left some of our shields? Would you, would you all of a sudden help us when we come to mind and go, well, I think I have a verse for you. Help us think this is the spirit with the sword. And, Lord, if some of us feel hopeless, I pray right now as we sing that you would spiritually put on the helmet for them. They would feel the helmet of hope and salvation just flooding over them with deep love. And I thank you for this time. I pray now, Holy Spirit, as we sing and magnify the great works of Jesus and the great deep love of the Father, would you just give us great times of singing and worship and peace in Jesus' name, amen.